fair warning, this show contains strong language and adult themes from time to time. Sorry, Jerry can't help it. Sick Boy Wolfgang Productions presents The Offering with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the history of film and its filmmakers. Mostly horror, always genre. It's your pal Jerry here, and I'm excited to tell you all about my thrilling new limited series podcast called The Halloween Conspiracy with Jerry Hara. In each episode of The Halloween Conspiracy, I delve into the backstory and history of infamous local urban legends, myths, and folklore, with stories that have haunted me my entire life, like the Montauk Project, the Amityville Horror House, Nikolai Tesla's Wardenclyffe Laboratory. I need you to tune in and help me get to the bottom of Long Island's biggest mysteries. Listen to this special three-part The Halloween Conspiracy with your host, me, Jerry Hara, starting October 1st, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you may listen to your favorite shows. Your life may just depend on it. Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, we're talking all about the most beloved cult classic movie of all time, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Gentlemen, friends beyond the binary, it's me, Jerry Hara, and this is The Offering. How you feeling out there, folks? Glad to see that you showed up. Uh, there will be a test later, so don't forget to apply yourself and, uh, you know, try to keep those grades up throughout the uh, course. It's very important. So, hey, I've been getting reviews, been getting good reviews. And like I've told you, folks... I'm going to read them if you send them in, even the bad ones. I mean, if you write something really bad and it's like well thought out, I'll definitely read that shit. This is from Fango Chris Muerbe. I just listened to the podcast for Jennifer's Body. I found Jerry's podcast and commentary both equally informative and humorous at the same time. At no point did I feel bored during the podcast. In fact, I didn't even want it to end. As a lifelong horror fan, I look forward to the next episode. Jerry, if you are reading this, keep up the good work. P.S. Jennifer's Body is a great movie. Definitely check it out. Damn. Got, I got feelings up in my heart and shit now, man. It's these, like, these reviews, you know, this is a homespun type of deal. There is no corporate entity yet. Figurative word, yet, behind this podcast. But Fango Chris, man, thank you so much. People don't understand these little acts of kindness and learning that people actually dig what you're doing, it refuels you. It adds that fuel to the fire to keep you going. And it's incredibly important, especially because we're only in the second season and we're just getting started, you know? So it, it definitely, it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice to have that feeling, you know? Everybody wants adulation 
You want to be heard. I want to be heard. It's important. It is. You know, we don't talk enough about that, but I think that everybody kind of wants a little bit of admiration, you know, just like plants need sunlight, just like humans and animals need water. I think we can all benefit from a little bit of love. And that's, that's important, you know? So, Fango, Chris, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, some of you folks probably have already seen the film Barbarian, hopefully, by the time this airs. I got to see it the other night. Got to see it a little bit early. I'm an AMC Stubbs member. I wasn't invited as part of the press because, uh, unfortunately, I am not a part of the press. I'm just a critic. I'm like a, a lone wolf, I'm like the Wolverine, you know, just acting, acting alone and giving my critical appraisal on Letterbox or Instagram, wherever the fuck I can get it out there. Dude, Barbarian was really good. It reminded me of films that they just don't make anymore. Like, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. If you've seen it and you liked it, great. If you hated it, great. At least it made you feel something. But there's this whole kind of like, just horror used to get weird. And I like that. You know, uh, the films I grew up with, Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs. There's some weird shit in that movie. Even like when he did Deadly Friend. That's a weird movie too. But I like that because it's unique. It's different. And Barbarian was really scary. Claustrophobic. Fun, gory, surprising. And that's exactly what I want out of a horror film, especially in today's media landscape. Anything that's a a breath of fresh air is definitely welcome and invited. So, that being said, sometimes the theatrical experience is left lacking. So, me and the homeboy Jeremy, we sit down in the theater, we go to the AMC, we go to the Dolby, I like the Dolby Theater, 8K laser projection, the seats are comfortable, the sound is fantastic. We sit down, and there's only two other guys in the theater, they're like young college guys, and they're going to be funny boys, they're going to be funny, they're going to laugh at everything. I don't know if these guys are just eating edibles, I don't know what the fuck the story was with those dudes, but uh, they were sitting right next to us, and we're like, God, these guys are really... They're just kind of like douchebags. So what what happens is one of them, I don't want to sit next to the one guy because that's where my seat is. So I move like two seats over just to not be next to them. Some girl shows up, young girl, probably like 1920. And uh, she's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be in that seat. These two fuck boys were not supposed to be sitting there. So I'm like, dope. She just got rid of the funny boys. So I had I had moved my seat to accommodate the funny boys. And they were sitting in the wrong fucking seats. Now listen, if the theater's empty, do whatever you want to do. Go crazy. Have at it. Take your fucking pants off. I don't care. But there is a reason we have assigned seating. Okay. Now, look, nobody shows up, do whatever you want, you know, sit wherever you want, throw your jacket down. Nobody gives a shit. But this theater wasn't it wasn't packed by any stretch of the imagination. It was like a Thursday night sneak preview, seven o'clock. 
some more people started coming in. And man, those two funny boys, they laughed at everything. There was the trailer for The the Woman King, the movie with Alfre Woodard, or Viola Davis, excuse me. Uh, Viola Davis, and, and it's like, they're laughing at this. And I'm like, it's about a bunch of African women trying to save their tribe from like fucking colonistic genocide. And these motherfuckers, are <laughs> they laughed at everything. They did laugh at points during the movie, which kind of fucking ruined the experience in some ways. This girl, she's behind me, and she's with her boyfriend. And the last half hour of the movie, the final act, she just starts whispering. She's going, oh my God, do you see that? Do you see what's happening? Wait, do you think the mother knows? that? And she's just, I don't even know what the fuck she's doing, but I'm hearing this for the last half hour of the movie. And I want to remind you, it is a moving spatial audio Dolby Atmos system, okay? This thing's like way over 10,000 watts. It's putting out some serious noise, but I it just keeps going. It just keeps going. So I think what needs to happen here is if you don't understand. So I finally just fucking had it, and I said, and then, and I turned my head around like fucking Reagan and the Exorcist, and I'm like, meh, meh, meh. Bitch does not care. This little bitch, she was probably like three feet tall and like 80 pounds soaking wet. I hope that bitch had cancer, okay? Because she looked fucking rough. And then, you know, I'm not, look, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. if Even if you are sick, there's no reason to be an asshole in a movie theater. She just keeps going and going. And at a certain point, I just stood up and turned around and looked this bitch dead in the eye. And I got to say, she is a bad bitch. You want to know why? Because she didn't give a fuck. Like, I'm a pretty sizable dude. You know, with lifts, I'm a good six foot. And uh, I turn around and I'm like, I, I was just like, I gave her the mean mug. Nothing. Unfazed. Maybe she was on edibles too. <laughs> this was like, everybody's like, everybody ate gummies or, or you know, cannabis infused chocolate before they came. Except me. I'm the fucking dumbass. Barbarian was very good. I think the director's name was Zach Greger. Excellent stuff. Really cool. Great movie, great score. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely the pick of the week. It's the recommend. We've been spoiled. 2022 has just been a hot year for horror. Man, Like it's like one after the other. You know, started off with the new Scream movie, which I really liked. It's been divisive, but what can I tell you? Some of my thoughts on the Scream movie was that it's great for a Scream movie, but as a regular movie, if you're not into the series, it's kind of like, meh, it's, it's a 5 out of 10. If you're a fan of the series, it's an 8 out of 10. You know, that's just kind of the sliding scale that I work on. The sliding pay scale. We got a lot of great movies. Black Phone, fantastic. Just one after the other. We've had just a lot of great horror, a lot of great genre movies this year, period. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, with that being said, hey, are you following me on social media? You should. You should. Letterbox. Uh, I have witty reviews, and I get to the point. Look, I'm not here to wax philosophic. You know what I'm saying? Look, like I, one of the last reviews I did was Samaritan, the uh, Sylvester Stallone film. That is a bad genre film. And let me preface this, that I love Sylvester Stallone. I think he's a genius. I think he's a juggernaut. But man, that was a trash film. It was really bad. Probably the lowest score that I've given a film all year. 
And uh, how low is it? You're going to have to go to Letterboxd to find out. Haha, see what I did there? I tricked you. So if you want to know just how much I despise that Sylvester Stallone film for a myriad of reasons, listen, man. People were like, oh, should have gone theatrical. No, Prey should have gone theatrical. Another great genre film. Oh, but let me just explain really quickly, because I'm crazy and I have to explain this. Anything that was in production prior to Disney buying 20th Century Fox, the agreement was that the films would go theatrical and then they would go to HBO Max. So in order to block it from going to HBO Max, they had to release it on their own streaming platform. There's going to be quite a few projects that started, like that have been gestating in the past five years during this whole buyout. It's just like I found out... um, The X-Men actors, they're all under contract, all of them, everybody. Anybody who's been the first class movies to Hugh Jackman, it's, it's all sewed up. They can't appear. They can't make another theatrical X-Men movie until those, until the time, I think it's like another year or so. So you can't have a new representation of Charles Xavier or Wolverine until the, that time period has expired because otherwise Disney would be in breach of contract and they'd have to pay uh, like Hugh Jackman, like retroactively. Because it would it, if he's not playing Wolverine and it's been recast, it, it forfeits the contract. So this is a lot of weird stuff. We all thought that when Disney bought 20th Century, it was going to just be this clean break type deal. Speaking of which, 20th Century Studios, I think it was Regency, was was the main production house on Barbarian. But 20th Century distributed the film. And it was like, how did this little kind of almost quasi-indie horror film get in to be booked into all these Dolby theaters, into these RPX, there's premium theaters. Well, if you've got 20th Century Fox behind you distributing it. And I'm like... This is a pretty vile movie for for many reasons. And I was just very shocked. You know, it would be like finding out that like Disney were like, like, yeah, we helped put out the Toxic Avenger. You know, like that's kind of how vile this film is. I mean, nothing's as vile as the Toxic Avenger. Who are we kidding? But yeah, it definitely sets a precedent nowadays. Like, you know, we thought that this whole buyout was going to be like, well, the deal's done. I guess we'll be getting our mutants anytime now. No, no. Maybe some of the third tier, like it even like it's across the board. Nicholas Holt, who plays Beast, there can't be another Beast. There can't be another Dazzler. They just can't do it. I'm sorry. This whole mutant thing is really just screwing me up because I was excited for better or worse. I love these Marvel movies. Another review that I wrote this year was Thor Love and Thunder, which there's parts of it that I enjoyed, but it's a terrible film. It, It really is. It's just a terrible film. It's. The only movie that I've seen in the last decade that makes cancer a ridiculous subplot and handles it terribly, Christian Bale is in a totally separate movie. He's doing the Gore of the God Butcher thing, and he's like in this dark, serious movie. And then Chris Hemsworth is just like, you know, look, they cut a musical scene out of it. There was like an ABBA dance scene with Russell Crowe, and... Russell Crowe as Zeus was the only person in that movie who knew the assignment and he was like fully committed to it. 
You know, it's just like overacting, just really shitty. Man, the modern landscape of cinema makes no sense. And yeah, Prey was fantastic. The All these things, Thor, Prey, Samaritan, I've reviewed them. Go on the IG, uh, go on the letterbox, Jerry Hara. You know what it is. With that being said, folks, we are going to talk about the definition of cult classic films today. One of the most beloved films to come out probably in the last 50 years. And this son of a bitch is, it has gained traction. Got a new video game. Got a new sequel probably on the way. We got all kinds of stuff. Merch. Spirit Halloween is full of their stuff this Halloween season. It's insane. You know what I'm talking about. It's uh, the killer clowns from outer space. Your favorites. You love those guys. There's like, I was going to say Muppets in Space. But then I realized that was that movie that they made was Muppets in Space. And then the skit on the Muppet show was Pigs in Space. A lot of people going to space. Well, hey, folks, we're going to take a short little break. But in a minute, we're going to get into it. And it is going to be hot, sticky and gooey, just like cotton candy. Wow. Sounds like a Janet Jackson song circa 1994. She was making a lot of explicit material. Even got to see her titty once. Well, folks... I'll see you on the other side of this, but uh, for now, let's get some of those goodies ready. Pop that popcorn. Uh, I don't know. Draw a bath. I don't know what you people do when you listen to this. Who the hell knows what you're doing? I don't want to know. That's your business. You know, consenting adults in the comfort of their own podcast. Folks, get ready for the attack, the return. They wouldn't be returning. Let's just say... Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Let's go. Just outside the town of Crescent Cove, Mike Tobacco and his girlfriend, Debbie Stone, are parked with other couples at the local lover's lane when they spot a strange glowing object falling to Earth. Nearby farmer... Gene Green, believing it to be Haley's Comet, ventures into the woods to find the impact site. He stumbles upon a large circus tent-like structure, and he and his dog are captured by a mysterious clown-like aliens known as clowns. Mike and Debbie arrive to investigate for themselves. Entering the structure, they discover a complex interior with bizarre rooms, and eventually realize it is the object and a spaceship. They find a gelatinized green encased in cotton candy-like cocoon and are spotted by a clown who shoots popcorn at them with a bazooka like... (laughs) I can't even do this seriously. Folks, we are talking all about killer clowns from outer space. I told you I would take you back to 1988, and I promised. And man, we are all up in 1988 as it stands. Look... Attack, I don't know why I keep calling it attack. I just, we were going to call it invasion. Um, We'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, man, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is the definition of a cult classic film. For a myriad of reasons. Generally, when you talk about a cult classic movie, it's a select few, small few, but very loyal. I've watched this film grow like a proud parent over the years. It's absolutely incredible. The heights that this small, loving film 
it rose to these heights. It's just incredible that it's this huge cultural phenomenon. This year alone, Halloween Horror Nights, they've got killer clowns, and it's awesome, you know? I'm not going because I'm broke, but if you do go, say hi to the clowns for me. Crazy stuff, just crazy, crazy stuff, but it worked, and it captured people's imaginations, and we're going to get into the history and some of the production snafus and other things that went down. All right, let's let's get into this. Are we ready? Because class is in session, motherfuckers, and here we go. It was a night like any other night. Then something happened. You see that? Something different. It's no shooting star. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? They've been knocking them dead all over the universe. What are you gonna do? Knock my block off? Soon they'll be doing it at a theater near you. Killer clowns from outer space. Just cruising through the galaxy and stopped here for a bite to eat. You don't need a police bell, you need a psychiatrist. They want to play games? They're messing with the wrong guy. What are you in for? Killer clowns from outer space. It's crazy. Killer Clowns from Outer Space was released May 27th of 1988. It is 88 minutes, which is my favorite. We talk about how much we love 90-minute movies. If you can, they're perfect. Even 96, 96 is perfect. Anywhere within that time, it's just first act, second act, third act, and they're all 30 minutes. Maybe you get a cool title sequence with a, a sweet theme song, you know, a little bit of animation which they wanted to do for this film. They wanted to do an animated sequence in the beginning, but there just wasn't enough money. I've heard conflicting reports of what this film actually costs to make. The popular theory is $1.8 million. You got to think this movie has made such a huge cultural impact to spend $1.8 million. Some people have said that it's closer to like 2.8, but I don't know what to believe because like a lot of what we've had has been this oral history that comes from the brothers who made this, the Kyoto brothers. The movie made 2.6 million stateside. This is where it gets crazy. I don't know whether to believe this or not, but supposedly 13 million worldwide over in Europe and Asia. They love this killer clowns movie and they went in droves to go see it. 
So we're not just talking about something that's an American phenomenon or North America. This is a international cult phenomenon, which is just blows my mind. This was distributed by Transworld Entertainment. They made most of their money with Sho Kusaji ninja movies, a bunch of different stuff. Men at Work, if you remember that film with uh, Sheen and Estevez. Even co-producing at the end of their run, Carlito's Way, which was kind of cool. You know, it was like, had to bust out those fun facts, and this definitely is a fun fact. Uh, ultimately, Transworld folded, and they were bought by MGM, like in the mid-90s. And uh, from then on, they've essentially had the rights to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. MGM was recently, the library was bought by Amazon. From what I understand, the rights have gone back to the Kyoto Brothers. So that's why we're getting everything that we're getting right now from the toys to the games to the Halloween Horror Nights attraction. We're getting all this neat stuff. And I think that wisely, the Kyoto Brothers waited for those rights to go back to them so that they could truly do as they wish with this property. Because let's face it, it's theirs, you know? What's crazy, too, is I just I had, I don't know why, this was all filmed in Watsonville, California, and at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. I don't know why. I needed to get that off my chest. It was a big deal to me. It meant something, whatever. When I was a kid, I saw the trailer for this movie, and I forget what movie we're at. We, we go to a lot of movies when I was a kid. I still go to a lot of movies. I'm sitting there with my dad and I'm like, whoa, this looks amazing. And my dad's like, yeah, this does look amazing. And my mom's like, he cannot see this. It will, this will terrify Jerry and he will never leave us alone and we'll never be able to have sex again. And he'll be sleeping on our bed until he's 47. Folks, it was 42, just for the record. No, but in all honesty, what had happened was my parents took me to go see Poltergeist in theaters and I was like four years old and I think they were under the the uh, auspicion. I don't even think that's a real word. That's auspicious. Auspicious. The circumstances being that Steven Spielberg produced Poltergeist but it was directed by Toby Hooper and there was that whole rumor that went on been kind of a running joke for Joe Russo and uh, Mick Garris from uh, Postmortem, you know, <laughs> Poltergeist. Because there's people to this day, and they say, hey, look, uh, you know, Toby Hooper didn't direct it, it was Spielberg. No, Toby Hooper directed it, Spielberg produced it, it was the only way it was going to get made. Has a Jerry Goldsmith score, used a lot of the same people Spielberg used on his films, so it obviously has that tone. Yeah. It was just one of those things that common misconception, but I can assure you many people have gone on record. Toby Hooper directed that picture, but my parents were like, Hey, it's a Spielberg produced film. You know, that was the way they sold Poltergeist was like from the director, you bought you ET and Jaws. And we you know, cause they don't, cause the way the marketing back then was much more deceptive. So you're like, Oh, Steven Spielberg directed this, you know, just like Steven Spielberg presents gremlins but it was directed by Joe Dante. So my parents took me to go see it. And there's a clown in the movie. Obviously, if you've seen Poltergeist, the clown freaked me out. So, you know, four or five years later, my mom was still under the impression like, oh, we can't see any, the clowns. It's the clowns. They'll get you. Oh, yeah, they're everywhere. 
So I was, my mom was shooting it down. It was not going to happen. It was not going to happen for me theatrically. And that was upsetting. So I'm watching MTV one night and they're doing like this thing with Headbangers Ball. They've got a couple of these, uh, you know, metal bands at the time, like Rat, I think Winger. It was the era of glam rock. The goof was that they all got to see like an early screening of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I'm like, wow, cool rock stars get to see horror movies first. And I was just like, that's got to be the coolest job in the world to play music with lots of hairspray in your hair and to see killer clown films early. Dear God, I, I really did not know much about the world at that time, for better or worse. So uh, the hype train is going. Now, Fangoria comes out, and I'm like, wow, killer clowns, holy smokes. I'm so excited. I'm like, these things, the creature design, I've never seen anything like this. It's so unique and terrifying and kind of cool. I would do anything at this point to see fucking killer clowns. I would have sold my mother at that point to see it because I was just so curious. Because when you're a kid and you obsess, especially like the whole Fangoria thing, when you obsess over these magazines, we didn't have the internet. And you just look at them and you see these designs and these creepy clowns and all this cool makeup effects. I mean, I read those articles like hundreds of times I would cut out pictures of all the cool stuff you know whether it was Friday the 13th or and I would just take it and hang it on my wall and I specifically had a couple of pictures of the killer clowns that I put up but it was not going to happen little Jerry was 10 years old in 1988 and all he wanted to do was see those killer clowns terrorize a small town in California but it was not going to happen until one night because this was, this was my saving grace, I had older cousins. And that was my gateway into a lot of these movies. So I remember my cousin Karen, she was like, you can pick whatever you want. And you knew. <laughs> like, when, you give, when you give a child, a 10-year-old child, like democratic, you know, you're allowed to pick whatever you want. Of course, I'm going to go for whatever my mom said I can't rent. Man. It was many months. I think it was more close to the end of September of 1988 that I was able to go home with that brand spanking new copy of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I watched it with my cousins and I'm like, this is amazing because my parents like left me there so they could get a break from all the nonsense that I, I did as a kid. And then my cousin was like, okay, you know, like uh, we used to go to this place that was in Brentwood called Show and Tell Video. And she's like, yeah, you just return the tape when you go back, you know, just take it home with you. So my dad says, what is that? He's like, he's like I'm like, it's killer clowns They're from outer space. And my dad growing up in the early 60s and whatnot was familiar with obviously with all the universal horror films and all the science fiction films of the atomic age. So there was... One way or the other, my dad was like, we're watching this. He's like, holy shit, we got to watch this. He's like, is it good? I'm like, it's amazing. It's the best film I've ever seen. There's a, there's a clown that turns into the, he's the size of Godzilla. Clownzilla, it's, it's incredible. They have popcorn guns. So we're watching it and we're laughing. We're like, this is great. Man, wouldn't you know, my mother had to walk in on that shit. <laughs> Could have been anywhere in the world, mom, but you had to be in the living room. 
And uh, she's like, what are you guys watching? It's like, Killer Clowns. It's funny, Adele. It's funny. Come take a look. And she's this is going to give them nightmares like Poltergeist because the correlation instantly of clowns. So she's like, you let them rent this? And then my dad just like threw my cousin under the bus like, no, it was a Karen and Eric and they rented it. I was like, that's a pretty smooth move, dad. <laughs> just bury your nieces and your nephews, you know, like who cares? But uh, you know what? I respect that move. Maybe like, you know, because you, when you're a kid, you're altruistic. You're like, oh, how could he throw his niece and nephew under the bus like that? He's married to this woman. He's got to sleep next to her. You know, there's a lot of shit at stake here. So he's not going to he doesn't want to be the guy who rented killer clowns. So uh, that night I watched uh, 1.5 times killer clowns. Uh, it was a one viewing and a half until my mom took it and we returned it. And man, after that weekend was over in September, I went the next day into school and I was like, holy shit, you got to see this movie. And I was just like this dumb little fat kid who just like would would blather on, you know, and there were like kids who like, you know, it was like a badge of honor back then. Everything wasn't streaming. It wasn't at your fucking fingertips. You had to do some work. You had to get the legwork in. You had to have cool older brothers or sisters or older cousins irresponsible drunk parents something you had to somehow see these films and man when you came in on a monday morning and you're like you know like what'd you do this weekend i fucking saw killer clowns from outer space and you're like oh my god how was it because i have responsible parents who would never let me see some shit like that what's going on are you having problems at home are you <laughs> you know your parents drinking no but uh well let me because this story is not just about a dumb 10-year-old kid. This story is about three brothers who were born in the Bronx. They were three brothers with a dream. They wanted to make special effects. They wanted to do things that had never been seen before. So let's go with the roster. Here we go. There is Charles Anthony Kyoto, who is the oldest brother. He was born in 52. He's the same age as my dad. There's Stephen Joseph Kyoto. He is the middle brother. Uh, well, second old, 68 years old. He's 54. Edward Michael Kyoto, uh, the baby of the group at 62. He was born in 1960. Now, these brothers, they started their own company in 1982. They're specializing in special effects artists, uh, clay modeling, creature creation, stop motion, animatronics. Basically... At that point, when they were getting their feet wet in the industry, they would have done anything. Like, you know, whatever you want. You want stop motion. You want monsters. You want prosthetic. Whatever. We'll do it. They they were just the, the one-stop shopping for any and all special effects needs. Their first feature was a low-budget movie in 1983 called Flicks. It's a parody of Saturday afternoon matinees, including coming attractions in a cartoon. I've never seen this movie. I can't find it. It's out of print partially a Canadian production, a spoof of a lot of the programs that were coming on television from the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, obviously, they loved doing this. But the big win for them was in 84, a guy named Tim Burton was making a movie called Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And the Kyoto Brothers, if you've seen the film, you know the iconic scene with Large Marge. 
That is all the Kyoto Brothers. All that stop motion, all that neat stuff. It's indelible. It's burned into my mind. These guys are visionary geniuses. You're doing it. So the real breakout for them is, and it's funny because people call Critters a Gremlins clone. It wasn't. Because truth be told, Critters was a lower budget film. It was not Steven Spielberg presents Critters. It was like your uncle's Jewish lawyer presents Critters, you know? With that being said, these Gremlins and Critters were being produced at the same time. And I think what happened was the success of Gremlins kind of said to exhibitors like, hey, people like these little creature movies. We got Munchie, we got Hobgoblins, Ghoulies, we got all kinds of knockoffs. But the reason Critters worked was because the creatures that they designed, the actual Critters, the Krites, and all the effects that they did, they were special. There was just something really special about those Critters. They made four of those movies in the initial run. They've done two more, and I think there's a producer right now threatening to do another one. But basically, Hollywood at that point stood up and said, hey, these guys are talented. And they created, you know, a semi-iconic creature that I think if it wasn't for the mainstream success of Gremlins, Critters would never be as big as it ended up being. These guys have done everything. But after they did Critters, a couple of people said to them, hey, if you guys want to do your own movie and do the effects and everything else, we'll pay for it. So they get all these different offers. People don't realize this, but the Kyoto Brothers have done everything. They've done everything like RoboCop, all the ED-209 stuff, all the effects in the Weird Al movie, UHF, Ernest Scared Stupid, which a bunch of the different clowns actually were repainted and repurposed and used in Ernest Scared Stupid. So you can see all these like bits and pieces of the leftover killer clowns that were used in that film. They did a bunch of stuff for The Simpsons, the various like, you know, they did parodies of like um, Davy and Goliath. So they did all like the stop motion animation and even later when the Simpsons became puppets and got to fuck around with Katy Perry. the That was them. They designed the real living embodiments of the Simpsons. And they, I don't know, it looked cool to me. Elf, they did a little stop motion. Elf, Team America, and most recently, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Yes, that, that character designs up. That's all the Kyoto brothers. So before Marcel, let me digress. The... People are coming to them saying, hey, you guys want a project? We will finance it. And they're like, look, we're probably only going to get one shot to make a movie here. So let's not squander it. The $2 million budget went primarily on production costs. The clowns and visual effects that you see in this movie were created pretty much entirely by the filmmakers. They had other people fabricate them because this was a really short shoot. Did not have time. And it was kind of one of those deals where they realized like, okay, we're going to make this movie for less than what it should cost, but this is our opportunity to go crazy. We might never have this opportunity. And I think this is one of those cases where the artists bet on themselves and it worked out for the best. Around the same time, MGM had uh, began production of two low budget horror films one being Killer Clowns, not yet from outer space. That would come later. 
And the other film that was being developed was Clown House by Victor Salvo. We're going to get into that. Now, they were going to call the film Killer Clowns with a C. And ultimately, the Kyoto brothers didn't want to get lost in the glut of like slasher films. And they're like, oh, people will probably just think this is another dumb slasher movie. So being fans of science fiction and stuff, they're like, let's add the outer space part. And that will throw people off. Because again, when you're spending at that time such little money to make this big production, you know, the creative control is basically that's kind of, you know, what it comes down to. You know, it's the old story about Stallone when he made Rocky. Yeah, we'll buy this script from you for $10 million. I don't know the exact numbers, but yeah, we'll buy it for $10 million. We'll put James Conner, Burt Reynolds in it. You know, it'll be like a big budget main feature movie. But if you want to make it yourself, Stallone, we'll give you like $2 million and you can, you can star in it. Hey, he made it happen with Rocky. So, you know, I mean, like, there's always lessons here, kids. You're going to have less money to spend, but you're betting on yourself and you'll have more creative control and you got to get inventive. So you got these two films in production and they're like competing movies and fucking Victor Salva. He's a piece of shit. This guy who directed Clown House. He, uh, he actually molested a kid. He molested the star of the film on that movie. This is the same guy who went on to direct Jeepers Creepers. One, two, and I think three, maybe. Um, yeah, like Hollywood just, this, is, this guy is a pedophile. Convicted pedophile. And for what he did on Clown House to his young actor, guy gets out of jail and goes and makes Jeepers Creepers. And then that, like, you can tell, like, that's the systematic problem with Hollywood at that time was just like, that would never fly now. But this is the kind of shit that was going on. And uh, Salva at the time, creator of the controversial clown house expressed that there was a certain rivalry between both productions to know who copied from whom. But in the end, the films were very different from each other. So it didn't matter. This guy, he just sounds, (laughs) he's a pedophile. Just like, come on. What are the chances that MGM is producing two movies that are one is Killer Clowns and the other is Clown House? Thankfully, both of these films were were much different from each other. Arrow Video did a really great Blu-ray. It has tons of special features. The problem is it's out of print, and if you try to buy it now, the lowest you're looking at is like 90 bucks, which is fucking insane. Luckily, The Kyoto Brothers have the rights back to this movie. It's a very visual film. If you know about Killer Clowns, like I can explain this to you, but because it is such a visual film, there's nothing that I could say here that's going to do this film justice. Like, you know it, you know what it is, you've seen it. It's a great movie. It's funny. It's got a little bit of science fiction to it. I don't know, man. I I really, I really love me some Killer Clowns. Oh, if you remember uh, the actor Christopher Titus, who had a show called Titus, <laughs> you know, he's been around. This this was his screen debut. It's first time in a motion picture. I also, I need to talk about the popcorn gun. The popcorn gun is a big point of contention. It had a compression system in it that would allow the weapon to actually propel popcorn. And it was the most expensive prop that was... <laughs> That was made on the movie. It cost $7,000 to create. It took six weeks to build. Find 
the Arrow Blu-ray, or there's other means of finding the special features. I'm sorry, I don't want to steal from the pockets of the Kyotos, but go watch this stuff. Because seeing them fabricate all these different things, it's absolutely incredible. There's a bunch of uh, different documentaries that are on YouTube by a couple of British filmmakers where they go into all the gory details of how this stuff was developed. Uh, The tricks of the trade. I can't do it justice. I just, I can't because this film, it's got slapstick. Uh, It's got elements of horror, the elements of science fiction. And you just kind of mix it up like this jambalaya. And it's like, like a perfect recipe that you just can't recreate. So you need to go look into the history of this as far as seeing visually how this film was developed. That's not what I do. You know, I I would need to show you the drawings. I would need to show you the test shots. We'll be right back with more of The Offering with Jerry Horror. Nosebest Candles is a soy wax candle company owned by two Long Island natives turned Manhattanites. They hand pour small batches of cheeky candles that inspire the euphoric feeling of synesthesia. Each candle pairs an enchanting dual fragrance with a curated Spotify playlist to help you set your mood at home. Not to mention, the names of these candles are a conversation starter themselves. Best sellers include Bitch Goddess, Mountain Daddy, send nudes their 2021 limited edition halloween candle is named omg i'm dead that's my favorite the perfect scent to burn while enjoying your favorite horror podcast enjoy 10 percent off your candle haul this fall using the code jerry horror 10 you can shop on nosebestcandles.com again 10 percent off any purchases using Jerry Hara 10. If you're anything like me, you're always on the lookout for cool, new, original gift items that you could give to your horror and genre-obsessed loved ones, or even something you could get to treat yourself. I found the perfect thing for you. Geek Emporium has custom hand-etched glass art that's the perfect gift. Believe me, when you see these glass mugs, glass jars, and original prints, you're going to want all of them for your own collection. Geek Emporium covers every genre you can imagine. Marvel, Star Wars, 80s and 90s horror. I'm looking through the website right now, geekemporium.nyc, and I can see featured. They got some gorgeous stuff from Labyrinth with Jennifer Connelly, A Nightmare Before Christmas. I see Brandon Lee's The Crow. They cover the whole genre gamut. It's incredible. I met up with these guys at Eternal Con on Long Island. I got my hands on a Sweet Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface glass mug and a Freddy Krueger wooden coffin, all custom. These are hand-drawn. They were drawing it right in front of me. So what are you waiting for? You can always check out their Etsy shop or head over to geekemporium.nyc right now and scroll through the goods. Trust me, your geek-loving loved one will thank you later. Listeners and fans of The Offering can get their hands on their very own The Offering with Jerry Hara merch, now only at Tee Public. Find your own fresh The Offering with Jerry Hara high-quality merchandise, including t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeves, stickers, and mugs. Just like the show, we've got gear that's mostly horror, always genre. 
The Offering with Jerry Hara Tea Public Store has everything you need to represent your favorite podcast. Folks, head on over to teapublic.com right now and pick up your very own offering tea today. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. Originally, one of their heroes, the Kyoto Brothers, was Soupy Sales. He was the television star. He had children's television shows. My father loved Soupy Sales. Same age as the Kyoto Brothers. Now, a little story about Soupy Sales and how he lost his television show. He told all the kids at home to find the green paper in their parents' wallets and mail it to him. Uh, Soupy Sales got a lot of envelopes and uh, there was a lot of green paper in them. Basically, after this stunt that he pulled, he was never allowed back on television. And ultimately, they it was going to be like three or $4,000, whatever it was, to cover Soupy Sales' lodging and travel. The producers were just like, dude, nobody cares about this like old hack comedian who got thrown off of television. But it meant something to them. And ultimately, Soupy Sales was... He was going to play a cop or a security guard in the movie, and they just cut the whole thing because they're like, we're not going to pay this money for this guy. No one cares. The release is also very interesting about this movie because, again, it was Transworld, so they didn't have this gigantic theatrical distribution, but they had the video stuff on lockdown. It was a media home release when I was a kid. They put out all the Nightmare on Elm Street films and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this movie was building up its audience. It was. But what brought it to a new generation was July 17th, 2001, MGM finally puts this out on DVD. And it's part of the MGM Home Entertainment Presents Midnight Movies. And that was the home media release for August 28th of 2001. MGM also released the Blu-ray September 11th, 2012. Sorry, there's nothing funny about September 11th. Just, I mean, it's just another day of the year, right? Fine. We're not going to acknowledge this. We're just going to move forward. Believe it or not, this film being released on DVD, because people forget the home video market was huge, but DVDs were, were gigantic. Everybody was buying them. They were going crazy for them. And that's how a lot of people, especially in the modern era, got their hands on this movie was that Midnight Movies MGM edition. I have it. I think any any self-respecting horror fan of a certain age has it, you know? Basically, that MGM DVD went on to create this rabid fan base. Killer Clowns was like, okay... For horror nerds like me and effects nerds, like, yeah, it was a big deal, but it just kept growing. And over time, this movie has developed not just a cult fan base, but a, it's a global phenomenon. There's just this whole voracious appetite for the killer clowns themselves. Now, while the Kyoto brothers were well known as special effects artists, much of the special effects work carried out was done by other artists. 
allowing the brothers to focus more on their production duties. However, the brothers did personally construct the miniature set for the Clownzilla sequence. Uh, most of the vehicles that were used in this movie were rented, and therefore they were not allowed to be damaged. Two cars were accidentally damaged, though. One was driven off a bridge. Although it was only intended to roll for a short distance, that was kind of an accident, whoops, and the Jeep filled with webbing uh, needed $3,000 of repairs after solvent and the webbing damaged the interior and the engine. Now, this was one of those deals where they had literally, uh, you know, I want to say, again, because some of this stuff is a bit hazy, depending on who you ask at the time, they had about six to eight weeks to create everything and then about 30 days to shoot. Um, and that was basically on every borrowed dime they could get. The brothers themselves were drumming up extra finances because we talked about this movie was $1.8 million to make, but some people say it was closer to almost like $2.2 million or $2.3 because at that point they were showing the dailies to some of the people that had helped get the money up in the first place. And they said, you know what? We know these guys. We'll float them some extra money. We'll let them really create what they want to create here. Some of the stuff was just, I mean, look, when you look at the, des this is what it comes down to. It's the design choice. Okay. These clowns, nothing before them looked like it and nothing after them has looked like it. There is a sense of indelible originality and ingenuity that was applied to make this film. And that's why it's so special. All these years later, people love this movie. It's a beloved favorite. But what it took was $1.8 million, allegedly, and leaving these guys alone to their own devices to create whatever came out of their imaginations to the, to the best of their abilities. And that's the secret of, that's really the secret of this movie. Nowadays, everything is so micromanaged and controlled and accounted for. It's hard to think that outside of an indie film that the movie like this could even get made. And we've talked about it before with, with other movies for whatever reason. And, and this is what I say. I think the budget was closer to $2.5 million and they spent another half a million dollars promoting the film. That kind of makes more sense for whatever reason. A bunch of the movies we've covered this season, Phantasm 2, $3 million. They Live, $3 million. There was just this magic number that studios had figured out. We can spend this much money and once we're done with promotion and marketing, it's still going to be like super profitable. I think a lot of times with the bigger home rentals and if they had the right distribution as they did with this, sometimes you were looking between five to $10 million when it was all said and done with international distribution. So yeah, like that's the thing, man. There was more creative freedom back in the day. I think you were allowed to see your vision through because everything wasn't done by a CGI house in India. It had to be done. A lot of stuff had to be done in camera. That's a lot of why this is so special because everything is so tactile. Really what it comes down to though is that I don't think killer clowns from outer space 
could get made today. I, I really don't. I, I, because if you're going to do all practical, a lot of it would be CGI now. Like, for instance, um, the Kyotos did a little bit of work with Short Circuit, Johnny Five, Alive, if you remember, and they did Short Circuit too. For whatever reason, Short Circuit, a remake, has been talked about for so long. They've tried to get it going. There were scripts. It was going to go into production. And I think ultimately, the reason like a movie like Short Circuit or Killer Clowns works is because it's a real, like there's a robot. It's a real thing that the actors can interact with and it's animatronic and it makes sense. With that being said, I think if they did Short Circuit now, it would be all CGI and you'd have a bunch of actors acting with fucking tennis balls. And look, imagination's a great thing, but it's like it's a large part of the reason that the the Star Wars prequels feel so disconnected. George Lucas was he was breaking new ground by having actors act with nothing. They were like the first group of actors because even stuff like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Christopher Lloyd, they're acting with real things. They're acting with, they did a lot of things that were practically done. But again, that's another, <laughs> that's another produced by Steven Spielberg, co-Disney production directed by Robert Zemeckis. I mean, they didn't have Who Framed Roger Rabbit money. But what I'm trying to say is, is that when these clowns appear on screen, a lot of the reactions are genuine because it's like, God, these things are hideous. They, they look like some strange, we've never seen anything like this before. And when you do that, when, you, when you're able to create that on set live with actors, actors are kind of like machines. The more data that you feed them, whether it's set dressing, whether it's atmosphere, lighting, the more you feed actors things like that, they're able to produce a real and visceral reaction. Ultimately, over the years, though, this film became just like this juggernaut, slowly but surely. It was kind of just like this big snow cone that was rolling downhill and just gaining more momentum and size, and the more people that saw this film... They fell in love with it. Again, like I said, two of the masks that were used in this movie, they were later used, well, they were repurposed and used to betray the trolls in Earnest Scared Stupid. So like I said, if you go back this Halloween and you watch Earnest Scared Stupid, take a closer look at some of those trolls because a bunch of them are just refurbished effects from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. This was like kind of a weird thing. Like, okay, like I don't, I hate to even, when you bring in modern aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes, it has an average score of 70%, 76% fresh. And that's based on 25 critic reviews. And uh, the site's consensus reads, Killer Clowns from Outer Space's title promises darkly goofy fun and more often than not, the movie delivers. I think that pretty much sums it up best. This is one of those things. This is what I talk about. This is the magic of the 80s. What's the movie called? American Ninja. What's it about? It's about an American Ninja. It's called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. What's it about? It is a concept that they propose and they deliver on it. And when you, you know, it's like RoboCop. What's Robo? <laughs> you know what RoboCop is. It's a robotic cop. And I, I love that because 
there's such transparency with the audience, even with the genre films, whether it's horror, no matter what it is, they're telling you what it is. You're, you want killer clowns? This movie's got it. There's a whole bunch of them, and they're from outer space, just like the title says. As time has gone on, people have gone on to say that this is one of their favorite cult classic films of all time. From rumors I'm hearing is that, uh, you know, it's one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite flicks. He really likes those killer clowns. I'm sure he'll be talking about it on his new podcast. Yeah, it, it, you're going to hear about it. Look, everybody loves this film. Everybody I've shown this film, it's not scary. Like, yeah, there's some creepy stuff. There's some bloody stuff. But like, whenever I showed killer clowns to somebody like an unsuspecting friend or relative, they kind of were delighted by it. There's just kind of this merriment and malevolence to the proceedings that just makes it a really fun live action cartoon. Eventually, just like everything else, people started to take notice. And they're like, well, how come they didn't make more of these? Well, the first one in its original theatrical release really didn't make its money back. So it wasn't like one of those things where it's like, hot damn, we just made a ton at the box office. We got to make more killer clowns. That wasn't going to that wasn't going to be how this all transpired. So the Kyoto brothers planned to release um, a requel in 2012 basically kind of a hybrid of a remake and a sequel called Return of the Killer Clowns from Outer Space in 3D. That sounds pretty good to me. And also, you know, hey, Killer Clowns are returning and they're bringing back 3D. I mean, like, that sounds like an amazing movie. That sounds like something you would have at a Halloween Horror Nights. You know, like, that's a perfect attraction. So that was 2012, okay? Because now, like, this is a brand and it's making money, and there were some issues with the rights, but Stephen Kyoto was going to direct this movie, Charles was going to be the production designer, everybody was coming back, pretty much everyone that had worked on the first film in any capacity that they were still friendly with, they were like, hey, we're going to come back, we're going to help you do this 3D movie, at that time, you had Avatar, there was the craze for 3D, and this seemed to be like a perfect thing for them to, to bring into theaters, the the plot for this was kind of like a little bit weird. So Grant Kramer, who starred in the original as uh, Mike Tobacco, he stated that his character would return. According to Kramer, Tobacco would now be a town drunk whose ramblings about the clowns are dismissed. When the clowns come back, Tobacco, who's been preparing for their return, teams up with two young street performers to fight them. Kramer also said that there might be multiple sequels, each centered around a character from the original movie. And it was reported later that the release date had been delayed. So this movie was supposedly in pre-production. It got pretty far along. But according to the Facebook page for the film, it was officially in post-production, which didn't really make a lot of sense. So wait, it was done? Well, a page on the website for the original movie promised that the follow-up film, referred to as a sequel rather than a requel, would be released in 2013. Ultimately, I don't know what happened, but we're living in, a, in the timeline in, in our multiverse where the sequel to Killer Clowns just didn't happen. Well, at least not that version of it, and at least not in this universe. In a 2016 interview... 
Stephen Kyoto stated that the efforts to make further Killer Clowns productions had shifted from planning one or more theatrical releases to focus on television, which now with streaming being so prevalent would make absolute sense. He explained the concept of a trilogy in four parts, which doesn't make a lot of sense, with the original film being the first and this being a new trilogy. Okay, well, that makes a little bit of sense. We've got it all written out, Kyoto said, Stephen. However, he also ambiguously referred to as the same plans as a long arc or a series for Cable with the long-ranging repercussions. So, that never happens. (laughs) Let's flash forward to October 22nd, 2018. It was announced that the Sci-Fi Channel was in talks to license the rights to make one or more sequels to Killer Clowns from Outer Space, as well as additional movies in the Critters franchise. Well, we did get Critters Attack, which was a part of that deal. Not that it was tied together, but you kind of get what I'm saying here. Uh, We never got that. From what I heard and what I've gathered was that Sci-Fi wanted to do two films. They were going to shoot them back to back, One was going to air in late summer, and then the second one would air right before Halloween. Well, here we are, folks, in the year of our Lord, 2022, and that still has not happened. In 2005, we got state-of-the-art toys announced that they would produce killer clown figurines as part of their now-playing film action figures line, much beloved by people like myself. One figure was produced in 2008, and uh, after State of the Art stopped producing the toys, Amok Time, a local business here on Long Island, uh, took over until 2017, and the company announced the license to produce more figures had expired. So both clown and shorty figures have become high-end collectibles because they only released two of them. So now, if you've got any of, if you've got the soda toys or you've got the Amok Time figures, they're worth a lot of money. So if you still got them in the packaging or you find them out in the wild, you're looking at some bucks there, kids. It just became one of these things. In 2018, though, this was, this was the, the most promising development. The infamous ice cream truck from the film were featured in a killer clowns from outer space themed scare zone at Universal Horror's 28th annual Halloween Horror Nights and July 25th, 2019, it was announced that the scare zone of the previous year would be expanded into a full-fledged haunted house attraction for 2019. Well, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we never got that. But guess what? Once that nasty pan... Well, it's never over. It's never going to end. You're listening to this 10 years later. It's still not over. You're dealing with the mutation of the COVID virus. Maybe you've turned into a killer clown. I don't know. It's the future. But regardless, this year at Orlando, we have got a full proper killer clowns house. And I've heard it's fucking amazing. I heard they did a really good job. The Kyoto's worked on it. They consulted on it. It's official. It looks amazing. It's scary. In 2021, Spirit Halloween dedicated a section of its seasonal stores to merchandise that fed into the movie. In addition, costumes, statues, props, doormats, signage, and life-sized animatronic characters were featured. 
And guess what, folks? This year, we got more. We got replicas of the popcorn gun. Yep. We got uh, replicas of the cotton candy gun. We got another animatronic. In fact, there's more stuff than ever. There's more Killer Clowns merchandise this year than there ever has been before. But it gets better, folks, because we don't know when this new movie's coming, but it last month, because this whole story just keeps continuing, August of 2022, it was announced that an asymmetrical multiplayer game based on the film was being developed by uh, Terravision Games and published by Good Shepherd Entertainment. There is an early release for 2023. It's going to be on PS4, 5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series XS. It's going to be on all the major consoles. It's a multiplayer game. If you've played other asymmetrical games like that, like Friday the 13th, this is going to be a multiplayer game, not unlike Dead by Daylight. You can play as the clowns. You can play as the punk kids, whatever you want. You can have fun. And look, I could not have imagined that when I saw this trailer in theaters in 1988 and I begged my parents to see it, who would have thought all these years later that this thing would be such an enduring franchise and people love it. Uh, Sadist Art, Mark, a friend of the show, his kids love it. They, they're little kids and they, they love, they absolutely just love these killer clowns. And it's one of these things where his kids feel the way that I did when I was their age. It's one of those deals where there is something that is completely indelible and attractive about the design of these hideous creatures. And it still seems to captivate young people's imaginations all these years later. And I think that is a testament to the work of the Kyoto brothers, all three of them, they did something good. These guys only made one movie, but sure as shit, they made that movie count. And damn it, if it's not 30 years later and we're getting more killer clowns after all these years, I think that they more than accomplished their goal, as well as giving filmdom and fandom at large, something that they couldn't have even dreamed of. That this little film that was made for $1.8 million went on to be this huge cult hit that's getting major video games, scare zones, to its own house, to all this merchandise that people... Look, that popcorn gun, you can't find it. They dan Like the cotton candy gun, you can find Okay, that one has kind of been out in the wild, but that popcorn gun, man, that one that was based, the most expensive prop in the entire movie at 7 G's, that is the hottest selling thing that Spirit Halloween has this year. And to me, that's incredible. I, there's, there's a part of me that said, you know what, I was right about this movie all along. You know, I was excited for it then. And I'm excited for sequels now. I'm excited for the video game. I can't wait to see where this all goes because, man, it has been a hell of a ride. And it's great to see a property like this that was made, you know, virtually independently and came from the imagination of three young men from the Bronx. This is a, this is a good story. I, I think uh, ultimately there's a part that really warms my heart and, uh, Folks, that is my take 
on the history and some of the production stuff that went on during Killer Clowns. What do you think? Do you like this movie? Have you seen it? Maybe you want to see it again. Are you excited for sequels? Should they not make sequels? I mean, look, the video game is cool. I think that's a great way. I don't know. I really, this is one of those things where it's like, we always want more. You know, as fans of this stuff, we see a movie. I mean, look, we're, we're all guilty about like the whole Marvel thing because we keep seeing them. It's like issues of a comic book. They just keep coming out and now they're doing television. But it's one of those deals where, God, this movie, it's over 30 years old now. To do a sequel all these years later would be kind of weird. I think that you would have to, you could use some of the same characters. You know, you could bring them back as far as the clowns. But I think it would have to be a little different. You'd have to put a modern spin on it. Maybe you could even pull a deal like they did with Pennywise. You know, he comes back every so many years. Maybe that's what these clowns do. They come back every so many years and try to take over the planet. And you know what? That's an admirable goal because in one way or another, those killer clowns did take the planet just in a different way because they're living rent-free in our imaginations. I'm Jerry Hara. This has been The Offering. Mostly horror, always genre. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer. I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst, the pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today. This has been a Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thank you for listening.